Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by David Cornell, Managing Director of the India Capital Growth Fund at Ocean Dial Asset Management. David joined Ocean Dial Asset Management in January 2010 from Henderson Global Investors. He's based in London, having been resident in Mumbai for three years until July 2013. He started his career in 1995, covering India for Robert Fleming Securities, ran the BDT Emerging Market Fund from 2004 to 2008, which compounded at over 25% per annum during his tenure, and then co-managed Newstar, Newstar's Institutional Emerging Market Fund. He has a degree in English and History from the University of Durham and was in the British Army from 1991 to 1995. So, uh, India Capital Growth, could you kick us off, please, with um, what the aims are in terms of the strategy uh, and objectives for the fund? Absolutely. So, it's a, a fund that is focused on long-term capital appreciation, uh, and we try and achieve that objective by investing in Indian uh, equities, listed Indian equities predominantly, uh, uh, and specifically in a small and mid-cap area of the Indian equity market, which is where we see most opportunity in terms of risk reward, most opportunity in terms of growth, and um, and really is the kind of engine room. It's the heartbeat of India, uh, more so in our view than some of the larger cap names, which tend to benefit from a global uh, environment rather than a domestic one purely. Okay, so and have you, you mentioned there the mid and small cap funds. So what, what does the sort of um, sector allocation of the fund look like? And also, what is the, the kind of split between large, mid, mid and small cap? So just to be clear, we define uh, mid cap as anything below $7 billion. Uh, and uh, the uh, we have 33 stocks in the portfolio. So it's a very concentrated portfolio. The median market cap of the portfolio is about $3 billion, to give you a sense. Uh, and the split is predominantly uh, mid and small. So it would be 90% mid and small, and that will be split kind of 50-50. But it, it's, it's broadly speaking, faster growing, uh, kind of more dynamic um, companies are spread across uh, the kind of economic uh, diaspora of India. What's interesting about India, it's quite different from a lot of other emerging economies and so much the stock market has a broad representation of economic activity. So you can find opportunities to invest in pretty much any sector. It's quite different from you know other EMs. Brazil, for example, is pretty much all commodities. Korea, Taiwan, pretty much all tech. Russia, all oil. India has a vast range. And the other thing about India, which is different, which is also interesting, I think, is that there's huge depth in management quality. If you think globally, Indians run companies, you know, Microsoft, Google, uh, a lot of Silicon Valley, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies globally, a lot of the retail companies globally. India has amazing entrepreneurial talent, and we try and capture that in areas of the market where the true value hasn't yet been realized. Okay, so I mean, obviously, the the 
current uh, situation in India, uh, we're seeing quite an impact from coronavirus and, and the overspill from that, let alone any variants, which is causing some consternation elsewhere. Um, what sort of impact is that current wave having on the country's economy at the moment? Well, it's interesting because it's had a very different impact to the first wave, which is, again, not dissimilar to what we felt here. The stock market fell 40%, broadly speaking, in March of last year, uh, when the first wave hit. And this time round, when the second wave hit, which has caused a huge amount of distress uh, in India, as we are all aware, the markets continue to go up. So it's a case of the first wave, I think, being unknown, unknown, and the second wave being more of a known unknown, if I can put it like that. Economic activity has slowed in the second wave, uh, and very similar to the rest of the world. The population in India has broadly taken it upon itself to protect itself from uh, kind of too much uh, 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 social interaction. And so mobility indices demonstrate that traffic levels, uh, trips to the, to the, you know, to the supermarket, trips to the office have fallen off uh, very rapidly. But actually, supply chain disruption has been much less this time round uh, than it was in the first wave, which is also the case in this country, is I think we've all become more accustomed to working in a different way. And um, and so uh, the the economic activity has been less effective. And indeed, the in the first wave, the government shut the economy down completely. This time round, the economy has broadly stayed open. And Indian states, at a state level, the state governments have 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 had more say in how their individual state manages the particular variants that are rushing through the country or through their individual state. So there's been a more, I say, focused approach to dealing with the coronavirus. Okay. And, and drilling down into your portfolio, just to add, add a bit of colour, could you talk us through uh, one, or, one or two of your top holdings uh, or positions? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a, a, a mixture of exposure. At a sector level, uh, we have uh, exposure to the financial sector, uh, which we see... Uh, 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 as having huge long-term growth potential uh, in so much that uh, we see the intermediation of savings uh, coming from under the mattress, loosely put, and into the banking system as the economy formalizes. And then once it's into the banking system, then of course, uh, there's a whole opportunity set, whether it's a mortgage product, a retail loan, a car loan, an overdraft, a credit card, whatever uh, that that kind of intermediation of financial products uh, can start to grow uh, dramatically. So we we see a broad exposure to the financial sector as being key. Uh, I would say the consumer uh, is another uh, high focus for us, uh, and that's both consumer discretionary uh, and consumer staples. Consumer staples very key, huge population. Uh, very young population, average age of uh, of the population is sub 25. So uh, as um, uh, as income per household or income per capita grows, you would expect to see increased consumption in key items and probably trading up. So a cheap bottle of shampoo or a cheap sachet of shampoo becomes a branded bottle 
Uh, and then the brand quality might go up as income per capita, income per household growth. So big exposure to consumer, big exposure to financials. We have, um, uh, you know, as defined, a large exposure to materials. Um, but that's broadly our exposure to the cement sector, particularly, and to some industrials um, and some agrochemicals. India is doing a great job at winning market share from uh, from China currently, as multinational corporations try and um, diversify some supply chain risk away from China, which has become a big focus because of the coronavirus, because of uh, because of the China-U.S. trade dispute, and India is becoming more competitive in in tax, in regulation, in ease of doing business, and so some small mid-sized companies in India are winning market share from their Chinese competitors in specialty chemicals, in agrochemicals, uh, in um, electrical and mechanical manufacturing, that's simply put, making TVs, mobile phones. And India has a great cost advantage over China. Its labor cost is one third of China's today. And of course, it has the benefit of rule of law, English speaking uh, country. Um, so we're seeing this shift, this gradual shift away from China. And uh, and we try and capture that in the portfolio as well. So. Um, to give you a sense at a stock level, uh, let me tell you about a company called Dixon Technologies, which is an outsourced manufacturer of mobile phones, uh, uh, lighting, uh, TVs. It supplies manufacturers on behalf of some of the global companies like Philips, Panasonic, Samsung. And rather than India buying fully manufactured, uh, imported equipment of that sort from China, it now manufactures it domestically, not only for uh, for those uh, big brands, uh, but also under its own brand. So Dixon Technologies is a company that's winning market share from China and also uh, starting to produce its own products for uh, for distribution across uh, an enormous market opportunity. And if I think about Panasonic, Panasonic and Samsung, you know, India is a huge opportunity for them. 1.3 billion people, 50% under the age of 25. What's not to like? So. Dixon is a stock that's, um, it, you know, it's relatively small in terms of market capitalization. It's about $3 billion. It's been growing incredibly fast. The Indian government is providing it incentives to attract, to build more manufacturing, to attract more business from China. We try and play that. Uh, and it's a long term holding for us. To give you another uh, example in our consumer space, we own a company called Imami, uh, which is a uh, uh, I would call a sort of personal care, health, beauty uh, business, but very um, strong in small niche products where a lot of the global competitors like Unilever might not necessarily want to compete. So uh, in healthcare, for example, the Ayurvedic treatments, which is a big thing in India, uh, they have brands focused around um, uh, around that kind of health and, and wellness product, which again, in this day and age is, is increasingly more important. And they have very high market share in very niche areas of, uh, of that segment. So that gives you a little bit of a flavor. Um, lastly, RT Industries is a specialty chemical manufacturer in the benzene chain, which is winning market share in that segment uh, from its competitive advantage over China. I'll stop there. Probably, that's probably a few, few too many, a few too many examples, <laughs> maybe. No, no, that's absolutely fine.
Uh, you mentioned earlier about the uh, Indian market dropping 40% when the pandemic first hit in, in March last year. Um, did the overall difficulties of 2020 perhaps um, give you the opportunity to add new names to your portfolio? And, and how has the fund generally coped during that extremely difficult time? So interestingly enough, we the fund has had a period of poor performance between 2017 and late 2019, when it did not do as well as it should have done or could have done, both in terms of its uh, relative performance to its peer group and to India as a whole. And in late 2019, we went through quite a wholesale change in in how we uh, managed our, our portfolio uh, in terms of our investment process. And we strengthened our investment team on the ground in Mumbai. And that led us to make some changes to the portfolio, allowed us to make some changes to the portfolio using the volatility of the of the collapse in the market that you talked about to add to some positions and to strengthen our uh, our, our, our positions in, in areas where we had great belief and also to, to, to kind of let go of some stock, which we probably should have let go of a lot earlier. So we used that volatility to, to rebalance the portfolio and that's worked really well. So the, as we've come out of the, uh, of the, of the crisis, the Indian markets recovered all and more of its, of its gains and actually the portfolio has done better than the market and the peer group in that recovery. So we topped up on our financials, we topped up on our consumer, we topped up on our what we call our China plus one theme, which is this diversification of supply chain risk into weakness. And we let go of some of our holdings that had performed badly that uh, we probably should have let go of a bit earlier. So there was a wholesale restructuring in that volatility on the back of the kind of restructuring of the of the team and the process that happened in the back end of 2019. Obviously, we, we've discussed the uh, the current difficulties in India in, in terms of coronavirus, but um, you're obviously taking a, a longer term view. What What is your outlook from here for the fund? And uh, you've already mentioned roughly how you're positioned. So I think India has been through its own restructuring in the last six or seven years, you could say. The new prime minister came in in 2014, and he's really been... Uh, instrumental in initiating a whole series of reforms to the way business is conducted in India uh, and to make it more regulated, to make it a little more transparent and to make it difficult for um, those that wish to avoid uh, paying tax or to avoid doing business in the right way are able to function. Uh, and so I can talk about the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act that's been brought in that is now law, the Real Estate Regulation Act that was brought in that is now law, the implementation of a nationwide VAT, uh, which captures the tax, indirect tax, uh, through a digital uh, online system, which is more efficient and and, uh, and spreads the net wider. These are all structural reforms that in, in the near term have actually had a very negative impact on growth and on corporate profitability which we were just beginning to see green shoots of recovery uh, late 2019 when the pandemic struck and we took another leg down. So our expectation is that this period of kind of wholesale reform is by and large behind us. I mean, there's lots more to do, but it tends to be more focused now. And we should be entering a period where economic growth starts to recover. And with that corporate profitability, and with that, stock market returns. Uh, India has 
consistently uh, performed well. If I go back to, to the fund uh, launch, not the fund launch, but when we took over the fund in 2011, it's compounded around 14% in sterling terms every year since then. But it's been quite a volatile journey, you know, big years up, big years down. And what I hope now is we go into a period of slightly more steady returns as economic growth in India kind of hits six and a half, seven percent in real terms. That's kind of 11, 12 percent in normal terms. The IMF has it as the best and most likely to be the fastest growing economy globally. And we want to capture that. So a lot of that is to do with the sort of the mainstreaming of digitalization in India. That's becoming a massive investment theme as more and more people spend online uh, as more and more business gets done online, that takes away the ability for, uh, for um, you know, nefarious practices to be conducted if everything is done transparently through the, through the web. So we're very excited about the future. Uh, and although the stock has done very well and the market's done very well in the last year, if you go back to 2016, 2017, it hasn't really done very much over a four-year period. So we think now we could be on the runway for something a bit more steady and um, and India long term has to be a place that people want to invest in. You just look at it from a from a wholesale perspective in terms of the size of the opportunity and the uh, the way that it's becoming economically more relevant in a global context. Very very underinvested for for for, for most for, for most um, savers, I would say. And on that very positive note, and we like to end on a positive note, unfortunately, we've uh, we've run out of time. So many thanks again for your time, David, and of course, for those valuable insights uh, into the Indian markets generally. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next time with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.